We're so glad that you tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kendall Kearns, and I'm the student worship leader here at Rolling Hills. Today, we're bringing our series, The Greatest Adventure, to a close as we learn more about the legacy that Moses left. God used Moses in a mighty way, and he wants to use you too. We hope that today's message brings you encouragement and challenges you to live a life that leads a legacy for Jesus. Now here's Pastor Nick. I'm really glad that you're here. This is the close of a series that we've been in, as Jeff mentioned, all summer, uh, where we've been literally diving in through the life of Moses, the Exodus story. And most of our texts this summer have come from the book of Exodus. And we've literally chronicled from the beginning of the story when his life was spared to when he was called by God at a burning bush to go and rescue his people from Egypt and all of the incredible exchanges that happened as a part of that. And now we fast forward to the end of Moses's life uh, to the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to hit verses from chapter 30, 31, 32, 33, and 34, big overarching texts to help us understand kind of what that word legacy ultimately means. Now, I got to tell you a story. So uh, earlier this week, uh, a friend of my wife's from high school um, shared a picture with her on Facebook, um, which is really the only redeeming thing about Facebook, when you can connect with people from the past, like otherwise you would have like lost all touch and inability to connect with people that you went to high school with and you just those old friends that you didn't keep contact information for because we all went to high school before cell phones were invented I get that so she uh, her friend posts this picture of her that is uh, now hanging in the Union County Historical Society and I immediately thought to myself why in the world is there a picture of you hanging in the Union County Historical Society and that was a picture of the marching band from their high school in 1993 now you're learning how old we are, um, marching in a downtown parade. And it's sepia-toned. They're not like all dressed up like saloon girls in Gatlinburg, but it is like a, a wash of brown tones. And it's hanging on the wall in the historical society. And I immediately thought to myself, why is something from 1993 considered historical? When I think of history, I think of um, the Great Depression, not the 1990s. I think of um, Pearl Harbor, not a pep rally, but all of a sudden in the historical society, there's now a picture of my wife hanging on the wall. And it prompted me to kind of think, we're just getting older and it's happening like right before my very eyes. One day my children, maybe like your children, will look at their children who come after them and they'll be able to say, like my kids can look at their kids. One day if the Lord gives me grandchildren, Lily Kate, Nora Blake and Simon can say, hey kids, guess what? Your poppy was born back in the 1900s, and that's just going to sound like so old. Do you know that this year's freshman class, the college students that we're about to say hey to and the ones that we're going to welcome, hopefully they'll fill up this center section that you guys have all conveniently avoided this morning. Like, this will be really exciting to see college students come back to church after they move back to Vanderbilt and Lipscomb and um, other Belmont. All these, it would be so great. They were born in the year 2003. Yeah, y'all are happy about that. My kids play this game with us. They've all gone through a stage of life. My son, who's the youngest, he's eight years old. He does it kind of the most and the worst. Hey, Dad, how old will you be when I'm, insert whatever age he makes up at the moment, and one day he asked me, hey, Dad, how old will I, you be when I'm as old as you are now? And I thought, oh, that's like Guinness level, old son. Um, not really, but that is literally so old that you're going to have to take away my car keys and I'm probably have to either live in a home or with your sister Nora Blake and you can come visit me there. Like it's literally that old. Like there's this moment when we think about what history is. And whenever you think about your history, whenever you think about that moment when you leave this life, 
you're obviously considering the, the legacy that you leave behind. You see, this word legacy that we're talking about this morning, if you grab the sticker for your nourishment guide when you came in, because we've been celebrating all summer these, these great ideas of faith that have come along in the journey. Incidentally, we put every single one of those stickers and worship guides in the back, so if you have to grab one that you missed, you can do it today before you leave, the last one being legacy. Legacy, it's in your notes this morning. I invite you to follow along and jot things down if you like to keep things that you're remembering. It's this. Legacy is not just how we are remembered. It's ultimately what we leave behind. And so if you go straight to the end of Moses' life in Deuteronomy chapter 34, literally the last thing that's said about him, it says this in verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to this whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Moses is mentioned in 31 of the books of the Bible 14 of them with a specific reference to the law of Moses. 12 of those books are in the New Testament. In fact, he's mentioned in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament character. His legacy is profound. The word exodus um, to Deuteronomy, this story of his life, those first five books of the Bible, they don't just have a Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy title, mostly Latinized words that help us understand what those books are about. They also have a Hebrew name, and the Hebrew name comes from the first words of the Bible, not necessarily what helps you understand the theme of that particular book. The book Genesis is literally the word Bereshit, and it means in the beginning. And that's because the first words of the book of Genesis are in the beginning. And that's a great theme for that whole book. Exodus, not so much. It's the word Shemot. And it literally means these are the names. Well, the book of Exodus, we know, is about so much more than just a bunch of names of people who went from God's land to live in the place of Egypt and ultimately were transitioned into a life of slavery. The book of Deuteronomy is these are the words, Devarim. The word Deuteronomy literally means second law. It's the second time that God had given all of these commands and all of this boundary for the way that his people were supposed to live when they went to live in the land that he had promised to them. It's literally, these are the words. And so if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 29, the last verse of it, as we transition into this last phase of Moses' life, it says this, the secret things, things that we don't get to know about, belong to the Lord our God. But the revealed things belong to us if you're somebody who likes to underline things in your analog Bibles or highlight things in your, your paper book Bibles, you can underline this, and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. It's that and to our children part that matters. This is what our legacy is. Legacy is not just how we will be remembered, it, it's ultimately what we leave behind, not necessarily for the next generation, but in them. If we go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, a big huge chunk of it starting in verse 11 says this, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you will have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it so that we may obey it. Whew, isn't that good news? It's not that hard, people. It says this, no, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. 
I think a lot of times when we consider the word legacy, we're talking about an inheritance. What, what are we gonna leave behind? What kind of inheritance are our kids gonna get from us? How hard are we gonna work? How much debt are we gonna pay off? How much is gonna be in that 401k or 501k or whatever those Ks are? Like, what are we gonna leave for them to have once we're gone? What we leave for them doesn't matter nearly as much as what we leave in them, and it's the word of God that counts. It's a see I set before you in verse 15 today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But it comes with a warning. If your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and to worship them, which, spoiler alert, we know that the rest of the Old Testament is full of moments when Israel stepped away and worshiped false gods instead of the one God, says this, if you step away and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call on heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you underline it and your children, that next generation may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast. If we were to study that idea of holding fast in the Hebrew language, it would literally be the word cling to. It's literally the same word that we get in the picture of Genesis where Adam and Eve come together as one husband and wife, man and woman, and God describes to us what marriage is, that leaving and that cleaving and clinging only to one another. That's the picture of the relationship that we're supposed to have with God. And it says, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those names matter. When the Bible says to the current generation, uh, like the ones that are in this book, when the Bible says to the current generation, those names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from the previous generation, what is, is saying about God is that he keeps his promises. You read those names in scripture, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, over and over and over again. Whenever the Bible mentions Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, people from that generation to the audience of this generation, what it is saying, God keeps his promises. So, so think about the generation that comes after us, the kids who are upstairs in kids ministry, the kids who are downstairs with middle and high school students, when this next generation, and not just that generation, but the kids that come after them and the generation after that, when the next generation hears our names in this generation, what are the thoughts that they're gonna have about God? Will it be of a people who kept his word and who understood him as a God who keeps his promises when someday in the future, somebody in the next generation mentions our names from this generation? What are the thoughts that they're going to have about God? See, legacy is not just how we're remembered. It's what we leave behind. And not only in the next generation, but with the next generation. Not just in them, but with them. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, the beginning of it, these words, then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. Okay, so those words that we just read in chapter 30, the ones about choose life, choose life, choose life. I have set before you two choices today, life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Those words, Moses went out and he spoke them to all Israel. And then he says, I am now 120 years old, 
Ooh, that's gone up there. And I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. And you can read about why, because Moses had gone and stepped outside the bounds of what God had prescribed for him. It's written about in the book of Numbers, you know, that Moses stepped out, but God said, you're not gonna get to cross into the land. You're only gonna get to take the people up to the edge of the land. You're not gonna get to go with them into the land. So Moses tells the people, okay, I'm 120 years old. The Lord told me I'm not gonna get to cross the Jordan into the land with you. The Lord God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy the nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will also cross over ahead of you as the Lord had said. And the Lord will do to them, hey, this is a victory, guys. He's gonna pave the way. The Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. And then verse six, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. The greatest legacy that we could leave for any generation that would come after us is the full understanding, the confident belief that no matter what life throws at us, and y'all, it's throwing a lot our way, but no matter what life throws at us, we can be strong and courageous because God is with us. The greatest thing that we could convey to the next generation is Emmanuel, God with us. It's the name that prescribed for Jesus in Isaiah chapter seven. It's the name that's confirmed for us when he's born in Matthew chapter one, that he is coming to be with us. So for us right now, and the legacy that we leave behind, this is what we have to understand, that preparation always matters more than qualification. That preparation always matters more than qualification. That's a good word. Because you and I are prone to look at our qualifications and say, we're not enough. We're like Moses in Exodus chapter 3, who looks at the burning bush and says, I can't do that. And then proceeds to give God excuse after excuse after excuse about why he's not the one to go and lead his people. We're like the book of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is told by God, hey, you're going to go and do this. And Jeremiah's like, hey, what have I got to do? I don't think so. Like, we are those people who don't understand our own qualifications in the moment. But hey, the good news is, the preparation, the thing that God wants to do in your life is so much better than anything that you bring to the table. And it ultimately starts with spiritual identification. Who do you belong to? Who are you? Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, it says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses. I, I underline that in my Bible. Because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord commanded Moses. When I think about the next generation, when I think about the kids who are downstairs in our middle school and high school ministry, when I think about the kids who are upstairs in our elementary school ministry, they're getting to hold animals today because we have this like Christian lady from the zoo who takes animals and shows them to kids and talks about God's creation. There's like a snake and a porcupine and a big fat rabbit and a tortoise and a scorpion and some other kind of animal. It looks like a kangaroo, but it's super, super small. A, a wallaby, like there's all these animals up there, which is why I'm in here because I don't like all that. Um, when I think about the kids in that generation, I ask myself this question. Are those who are in line after me filled with God because of me or in spite of me? That's your legacy question. Is the generation that comes up after us, are they gonna be filled with God because of us? Because we laid our hands 
because we gave our attention, because we focused on God's promises, because we signed up to serve in those areas. Is this next generation going to know God and follow him because of us or in spite of us? Because I hope they know and follow God either way. But wouldn't it be better if that was the legacy that we had passed on? You see, every single one of us in this room, every single one of us, is either standing on the shoulders of a spiritual giant that came before us, or carrying an incredible burden and weight because of the spiritual lack that was left to us. And we have to want to do better for the next generation than was potentially done to you. Every one of us is standing on the shoulders of a spiritual giant who came before us, or dealing with the weight and the burden of the spiritual lack that was left to us. And we get to choose this day, life and death, blessings and curses, which kind of legacy we're going to leave. Key features, they're in your notes, we'll hit them kind of fast. The first thing that you wanna note about a legacy is good or bad. You will leave one, good or bad, right or wrong, it will travel farther than you intend. The legacy that you leave, if it's good, it will go farther than you ever imagined, and if it's bad, it will go farther than you intend. Chapter 30, verse one says, when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. There was always a plan that God's people would be scattered. It happened in the book of Genesis when the people didn't have enough food, they migrated down to Egypt so that they could have a way to live. It would happen again when the people disobeyed God and he sent the Babylonian nation to conquer them and to send them into exiles and it moved them from one place to the next place. And eventually they were able to come back and build their own temple and live in their land. There was always a provision for God's people moving around the earth, never settling too closely in one place, but always being willing and ready to move. There was a picture of Jesus at the end of his life and at the conclusion of his resurrection before his ascension into heaven, where he looks at the people and he says, go, don't stay put, go, baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in all nations. I'm sending you out. Acts 1.8, his final words, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. There was always a picture of God's people moving out into other places so that the goodness of God could be known by them. And when the world's worst persecution broke out against that first century church, you fast forward to the end of scripture and Peter writes a letter to disperse Christians everywhere, all over Asia Minor and Europe and Greece and says, hey guys, to the people who are dispersed, believers in Jesus who are dispersed all over, have confidence. The Lord is with you. We were always supposed to be a people on a move. Last week, I got a chance to go to Kentucky and teach at a camp. And one of the mornings, I had all the kids in the Bible study, and I looked at them and said, okay, if you live in the same state as your grandparents, stand up. And, and like three quarters of the room did, like whether they were from Kentucky or Alabama or Georgia or Mississippi or wherever, if they lived in the same state as their grandparents, they stood up. Now I said, now stay standing only if you live in the same city with your grandparents. And you can imagine a bunch of kids sat down, but there were still a, a good many who were standing up. And then I said, okay, now I want you to sit down unless you live on the same street as your grandparents. And you can imagine the whole room kind of went down and only this scattering of kids, like 25 out of 400, who literally live on the same street as their grandparents. And then I said, hey, how about those of you who live in the same house as your grandparents? And, and like four kids were standing up. 
You see, way back when, in Abraham's day, when God called him to go and to move into a land that he was going to show him, and he left his father and his mother and his entire home, that was abnormal. He was literally the only guy who had ever moved that far away in that moment, leaving everything else behind. They all lived in family clans and family units. You look at us today, we're spread out everywhere. Well, that was always God's plan. And somehow or another, that's how the legacy goes further than you ever imagined. The way that you live your life will have implications that you have no idea, good or bad, right or wrong. Your legacy will go farther than you intend. It'll also, it's really important to note, this is the good side. It's easier than you imagine. Don't put the pressure on, because God does all the work. The reason for it is grace. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Y'all, the pressure's off because it's God who does the transforming. When we love, it's God who put it there. When we live well, it's God who did that. He's the one who transforms us. You see, even way back in Deuteronomy, It was far less about a physical circumcision than it was about a spiritual condition. And it makes you wonder why first century Jews at the time of the establishment of the church were so concerned with that physical expression, or does it? Aren't we often more concerned with the physical expressions of faith than we are with the spiritual condition of somebody's heart? Why were they so trapped by legalism? Why are we so trapped by legalism? Good or bad, right or wrong, the legacy will go further than you intend, but it's also easier than you think. Deuteronomy 30, 11, again, it says, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult. It's not beyond your reach. Who can go and get it for us and explain? It's literally right here that, that, that God has made it available to us. And I'm not standing before anybody today and telling you that the Christian life will be easy. And I'm not standing before anybody today and saying that following the words of this book should be simple but I'm saying to you that your access to God is because he made himself available to us. Every other cult in the world, every other world religion in the world is always about the things that you might do by your effort to earn his favor. That's hard. And yet our great God in his grace makes himself available to us. The third thing you wanna know about legacy is this. It's gotta always be broader than the people we typically include. 31.12 says this, assemble the people. (laughs) Moses is like, get everybody together. Assemble the people. I'll tell you who. The men, the women, the children, and the foreigners residing in your town so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of his law. There's a reason why this passage of scripture says, and the foreigners living in your town. There's a reason why when they migrated out of Exodus, it wasn't just the Hebrew people, but a great multitude also went with them. There was always a provision for the foreigner. I get scared, not of you guys. But I get scared that one day somebody's going to walk into our church or any one of our campuses with some sort of agenda of their own. And they're going to assume that because of the words that we highlight from this book that, that I'm standing up here with some sort of agenda of my own to take you in a direction that God does not intend for us to go. I'm not literally finding words and manipulating words from the text. I'm literally just reading the ones that are on the page and saying there was always a picture and a provision for somebody on the outside to become someone 
one on the inside. And when I land on texts that support a broader biblical worldview rather than a nationalistic false one, what I'm saying is there's always a place. That's why it matters that that we look like a rainbow in here of different colors, different people, different dialects, different histories. Oh, back to that word history again. We're going to get our picture up in a society somewhere. It matters. It matters that we look at this gospel as one that reaches beyond our borders. And it matters that we understand that this gospel is for everybody to come to the table. We don't have to go all the way to Paul to understand that the gospel is inclusive. We've got a picture for us right here from Exodus all the way down to Deuteronomy, slam-packed with reminders. There's a place for the foreigner at this table. We do not have to go very far to find the message of God's gospel because it's here and available to us. We also don't have to try very hard to understand who it's for, anybody who would come. And so we get to be a part of that. It's broader than the people that you think. It's broader than the people that you were taught to include is for us, and it's for us to share with others. The last thing, it's that this gospel, (laughs) this legacy that we leave through it ought to come with a warning label. It ought to come with a warning for both us and for the next generation. Chapter 31, verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors. That's a really, really kind way of saying, Moses, you're about to die. And these people, all these people, the ones that you've been leading, the ones that you've been instructing, the ones that you've been living with, the ones that you helped march out of slavery in Egypt, these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land that they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant that I made with them. They're going to mess up. You're about to be gathered to your ancestors. Your time is up, and they will fall. And we know that the temptations will be there for the next generation. Deuteronomy chapter six, it's a a feature passage that we use often. It's where God gives us the Shema. It's hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We're supposed to love him with everything that we have. The words that he gives us are to be in our hearts and we're to pass them on to the next generation. When we sit around the table, when we walk along the road, when we wake up in the morning, when we lie down at night, we're to write them on the door frames of our houses. We're to bind them on our foreheads and our our wrists and keep them on our gates so that other people from all sides of the world can see who we belong to and why he matters. And then in Deuteronomy chapter six, we find these words starting in verse 10. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to give your fathers, the promise, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, and you eat and you are satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's not an accident that Scripture attaches our affluence to our ability to remember and ultimately our proclivity to forget. When we have everything that we could ever want, it's very hard to remember the one and only thing that you need greatest example in scripture that we're given is Solomon, wisest and wealthiest man that ever lived, and later in his life, left an incredible amount of wealth to his kids, 
but because he had loved foreign women and worshiped foreign gods, he left them with a divided kingdom and a legacy that would fall. You can pass your kids all the wealth in the world, but if you're not leaving them a legacy of faith in God, what are you really living for them? At the end of your life, it will not matter what you leave. if you didn't focus on how you live. Susan will not be remembered for the marching band, for her ability to play the coronet or the trumpet or whatever that was called. Hopefully she'll be remembered as a a mom who passed faith onto our kids and they'll remember her as a mom who lived out that faith and who trusted God's presence in every area of our lives. But remembering it is different than failing to forget. You see, we're not going to forget who Susan was, but we may fail to remember her place in our lives. We're not going to forget the stories that we know from God's Word, but we may fail to elevate them to His place of importance in our lives. And so today, as a next step, as a reminder for all of us, we're invited to a table You know, typically when you come in on a Sunday morning, we've already passed out communion elements to you for you to take later on in the service. But this morning, we invite you to do something a little bit different, to step out of your seat and to come to a table where there is literally a place and an opportunity for each one of us to remember. That's ultimately what these elements are, a reminder of who God is and what Jesus did for us. And so in a minute, the band's going to come back, and they're going to play and sing. And as they do, you're invited to come and to grab a bit of elements and to take them back to your seat where we will at once all together take communion with one another. And it's a reminder. And we need the reminders, especially when it's concerning our legacy, because the next generation needs the reminders, and they need to be able to look at our lives and the way that we live and be reminded that God is good God can be trusted, and that he is ultimately the only way. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in this place and to ultimately celebrate your goodness and to know that it is of nothing that we have ever done and nothing that we could ever do that has offered to us the gift of your grace and your salvation. That ultimately, it's only by the blood of your son that we come to these tables And it's only by his good grace that we will ever live a legacy of faith for the next generation to know you and to follow you and to understand just how far you went for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.